A married couple had a quarrel and ended up giving each other the silent treatment. Two days into their mute argument, the man realized he needed his wife's help. In order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting, he had to get up at 5 a.m. Not wanting to be the first to break the silence, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. The next morning, the man woke up only to discover his wife was already out of bed. It was 9 a.m. and his flight had long since departed. He was about to find his wife and demand an answer for her failing when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. He read, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> yes, that's not exactly how we want to be communicating, is it? And we do not want to be holding the kind of grudge that leads us to the stubbornness that will not communicate. So tonight we are going to be thinking about what this means and we all have to admit that we have times when we would probably, in our very naughty, nasty sinfulness, joyfully write something like that and not speak. And we, obviously that's sinful and that's not the way we want to live. So we are actually going to talk tonight through a whole bunch of things on uh, good communication and I'm just going to tell you, I think I say this, like I preface every lesson this way, but there's so much to be said about communication. How can you possibly talk about it for one hour and do a great job at it? So I'm going to highlight some certain things. And at the end, I am going to try and give you some good pointers to, um, that are practical so that you have something that you can kind of engage with and go, okay, I can go home and do this because the one thing that I always want to be really careful of is that we don't only look into scripture and hear what scripture says and then fail to figure out how to match our lives up to it. Scripture is there for a reason and we have to figure out how to live according to that scripture. So that's what we're going to try and accomplish tonight. So right away, we're going to start right on your outline um, right now. A on your outline is necessary motives for good communication. Communication is the means God has given us to have an intimate knowledge of one another. As we know, communication involves two main aspects. The first, of course, is verbal, what we say. <clears throat> it's using words to convey concepts and ideas, thoughts, desires, information, all of those things. We have to actually speak. The second is nonverbal, and that includes your body language and facial expressions and things like that. And we're actually not going to hardly even touch on nonverbal tonight at all. We are mostly just going to be talking about words and speaking. So in the book, I actually wanted to show you guys this because I always want to show you good resources. So I got from, I am going to be quoting from this book. A little bit tonight love that lasts this is Gary and Betsy Ricucci I think is how you say their name anyways uh, I think I did mention this to you guys before but he has two good chapters on communication in this book and obviously you're familiar with the excellent wife and she has a good it's not very long but she has a good chapter on communication as well just kind of some bullet point things to think through and then we have Communication and Conflict Resolution, Stuart Scott, which actually, if you're coming to, I'll just give you a sneak preview here, but if you're coming to the conference, you're going to get one of these because our conference is also on communication. I always find it interesting that so many times the topics we're talking about we're hitting on in other places. So I'll give you a general introduction to communication tonight, and then we'll get a good dose of it this weekend. Anyways, this is very good as well, and he... Um, he has a lot of good bullet points as well. And just also to say, so tonight we are talking about communication and really kind of the positive side of that more or less. And next time we meet, we're going to talk about resolving conflicts. So what do you do when you have a conflict? How do you communicate through that? So we're not really going to be talking about that tonight, just so that you guys are aware, because I know that there will always be questions. How do we work through various conflicts? And I know that that question has come up even in other lessons that we've had before now. What do we do what, when we have a conflict, but how much are we allowed to bring up to our husbands? How often can we bring things up? Just very practical things. So anyways, that'll be next time. So we'll just focus on tonight's. Anyways, so from the, that book, uh, Love That Lasts, Gary and Betsy 
use the words <clears throat> communication and fellowship interchangeably. So they kind of use those two things together, but I really like how they bring that together because we think about fellowship in the context of church. We come to church and have fellowship. And what is fellowship? Well, it is speaking and talking to one another to encourage one another in spiritual things. That's ultimately what it pretty much is. But we don't often think that we are to have fellowship with our husbands. And yet, as believers, we should be doing that. And I had not really thought about it until reading what he had to say about it, but I thought that that was, that was interesting and helpful. So he wrote this, as it applies to marriage, we can define fellowship as sharing all of life so as to reflect our union with Christ and deepen our relational intimacy with one another so as to glorify God and grow in godliness. And of course, that continues to be our theme that we go back to every week, right? Our goal is to glorify God. So he goes on. Indeed, a husband and wife can only thrive in relational intimacy when they open themselves up to one another by the means of fellowship and biblical communication. So this is our goal. We want to thrive in our relationships with our husbands. Because this is our desire to thrive in our relationship with our husbands, we are going to approach the topic of communication from the perspective of relational intimacy. So we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about sexual intimacy. Well, I am going to use the word intimacy, but when I'm using that word tonight, I'm talking about it in the context of relationship. And so we need to have intimacy with our husbands in relationship. <clears throat> And actually, relational intimacy through communication and sexual intimacy actually do go hand in hand. If we are failing to be relationally intimate in our communication, we are likely going to struggle in sexual intimacy as well. If we aren't connecting, Craig and I will say, mm, we're not connecting. Like, and we're talking there uh, relationally. And if we're struggling and we're kind of off for some reason, it's gonna be really hard to be sexually intimate because there's this underlying eh in our relationship. And so we have to work that out first. So the two actually do go hand in hand. To achieve relational intimacy in our communication, there are several important characteristics, or maybe we could say attributes, that need to be present in our lives. And so I'm just gonna, I don't know how quick, I'm gonna try and go through this a little bit quick. Because I, we, oh, there's just so much to say. Anyways, but we have to understand that we have to be cultivating certain characteristics in our own personal lives if we are then going to be able to communicate rightly with our husbands. So that's what we're going to look at here first. So number one, for God's glory, um, that needs to be our goal, our desire. Our desire is to please God. And of course, I'm just going to run through this really quick because we've talked about it a lot of times, but 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. This is our desire. This should be our desire that first and foremost, we should be pleasing to the Lord. And I hope that as we have talked about a lot of different topics over the course of this study, that you have thought about the need to bring glory to God in all these different ways, different topics, if you want to say, because we often say that, bring glory to God, but it's, it's helpful to me when I'm thinking about it to go, oh, when I'm talking to my husband, it needs to be my goal that God is glorified when I talk to him. So it's bringing it down, this idea of glorifying God to these specific things every time. That's why we keep revisiting it over and over again. So Proverbs 10:20 says, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. So this is what our desire is, that we would have the tongue of the righteous. And we will not have that if we are not seeking to bring God glory. And also, of course, Psalm 19, and this is actually why you get to do this chapter for your homework. 
But Psalm 19 verse 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that is always needs to be on the forefront of our minds that everything that comes out my mouth, the thoughts that I'm thinking, that they would be acceptable to God. And it makes it really hard to go home and be snippy or unkind, say mean things to our husbands when we're seeking to bring God glory because we, we can't do both. So either we decide in that moment, I don't care if God gets glory and I'm going to say what I want, or we decide we want to give God glory and that brings our sinful attitudes into check so that we will then seek to bring God, God glory. So then moving on, humility is number two. Proverbs 18.2, and actually I'm going to give you a lot of verses tonight as well. Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. One way the foolishness of pride is displayed in our communication is in our love for our own voice and opinions. And this actually, I'm going to take these points out of um, the Love That Lasts book. So he had this nice little list there, and I just thought it was really helpful. <clears throat> so he says this, Pride loves to talk, reveling in every self-exalting form of self-expression. Pride is quite content with what it already knows. Pride assumes I don't need help. Pride simply judges others by assuming they will respond negatively or unhelpfully if I am open, like open as in sharing your heart kind of open. Pride simply judges others by assuming they will respond negatively or, un oh, I just read that. Okay, so the next one. Pride uses conversation as broadcast time. Pride doesn't need a spouse, just an audience. That one was a little bit convicting. Pride just wants somebody that you can pontificate to or that you can just, you know, blab on and on. You're really not looking to communicate. You just want somebody to listen to you as you talk. Pride denies what the gospel reveals about our seriously sinful condition. So he's contrasting. So he gives us the list of things that can tend to be true of our communication if we have proud hearts. But now he's going to go ahead and, and give us a little bit of a list here if we have humble hearts. So he says, in contrast, humility yearns to learn because it recognizes its deficiencies. This is where we need to be when we are communicating with our husbands. Do we recognize our own deficiency? And when our husband does something that we don't like, that we don't approve of, are we thinking about our own deficiencies in that context? No. And so what generally comes out of our mouth? Something that isn't appropriate because in that moment we are being proud. And so we are thinking about his deficiencies rather than our own deficiencies. So Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So then, humility. Humility asks questions and loves dialogue. Humility assumes there is always more to learn about everything. Humility assumes I need others. Pride is very self-sufficient. It's that whole idea where you don't need a spouse, you just want an audience, right? It's that whole thing. Humility is not like that. It recognizes its need for somebody else. And we need to recognize that about our husbands. The Lord has blessed us with them and we do need them. Humility would rather be open and vulnerable than closed and independent. So just tuck that back into your mind for later. Humility would rather be open and vulnerable than closed and independent. Humility uses conversation with the spouse to explore new ideas and opportunities. Humility puts energy and effort into listening. Humility treats a spouse as a fellow traveler on the road to biblical wisdom. Humility that leads to intimacy takes an interest in one spouse as a gift from God. Do we think about our husbands as a gift from God in their imperfections, 
in their wrestles, in their sin? Do we think about them as a gift from God? Because they are, and we need to be thinking about that and recognizing that. Humility believes what the gospel says about our desperate need for God and his grace. And as we recognize our need for God and we recognize our need for his grace, we are more willing then to pass that along to our husbands. So uh, what are these attributes that we need to have? We need to have, which is, I don't know how that really fits attribute-wise, but we need to have a desire to bring God glory. We need to have the attribute of humility, and we need to have the attribute of love is number three. When you love someone, you are for them. You want what is best for them. You want to help them. You want to encourage them. You are willing to sacrifice for them. You want to bring joy and delight into their life. You enjoy doing things that make their life better or help to ease their burden. And loving our husband, all these things should be true for us as we consider our husbands. We should want to do what is best for them. We should want to help and encourage and sacrifice for them. We should find joy in blessing them and easing their burdens. So remember what the overarching goal of love is. I know we've mentioned it here a couple of times anyways. It is saying and doing through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, using the word of God, whatever is necessary to help the other person become more Christ-like. That is love. As we exercise love toward another person, specifically here toward our husband, is our desire that we would help them to become more Christ-like. So as we consider communicating with our husbands, we need to keep in mind that everything we say must be motivated by true, biblical, Christ-like love. That means our comments and conversations are going to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. So I always enjoy taking like different parts of Scripture and kind of putting them together and going, ooh, because the conviction just seems to be a little stronger like that. But when you think about your words and your comments, your explanations, your joking, your teasing, your confrontations, anything that comes out of your mouth, it should reflect both the fruit of the Spirit and the, remember kind of the explanation in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? Everything that comes out of our mouths as we are talking should be a reflection of the fruit of the Spirit and of the things that are reflected in that love chapter. So that means that the things we say will be patient. Right there, that knocks most of us out of the water at some point or another, right? So our words will be patient. They will be peaceable. They will be gentle. They will be self-controlled. Ooh, that's another hard one. They will be kind. They will be good. And they will be faithful. Our words will be faithful to the truth of God's word. All of the things that we see in the fruit of the Spirit, these are the things that should be reflected in our speech at all times toward our husbands. They will not be spoken of, they, they will not be spoken as a result of jealousy. So the things that we say are not going to be the result. Of, now I've moved into to 1 Corinthians 13. And what does it say? Love is not jealous. So that means that the things we say are not going to be a result of jealousy. Very easy to make jabbing comments that are a result of jealousy. And you might have to kind of pull back the layers here a little bit to see like, well, I don't know how I'd be jealous. But what about when your husband gets to sleep through the night and you are up every two hours? It can be very easy to make a passing comment the next morning about how much sleep he gets when you have to be up all night. You know you shouldn't say anything. Your, your conscience is telling you, don't say anything. You've got a little red flag going up with this thought you have in your mind. You know it isn't kind, but the jealousy regarding all the interrupted sleep that you have and the wonder or the uninterrupted sleep he got and the interrupted sleep, the sleep you didn't get, just eats at you little bit by little bit by little bit until it's like you just finally have to say it. Well, you just get to sleep. How lucky are you? 
Is that beneficial for him? No, and what is driving that comment? It's not love. It's jealousy because he gets something that you don't have and you want it. So there's a lot more that we could say with all of those things, but we don't have time. But I would encourage you to go through 1 Corinthians 13 and think through those things very specifically as far as how you're communicating. Are you easily provoked? Are you seeking your own? Are you, like, and this goes along even with uh, the fruit of the Spirit, are you kind? So many things that, that are helpful for us to evaluate our speech, even just in those two passages of Scripture. But anyways, we need to keep moving, so we're going to move to number four now, which is honesty. We need to cultivate the attribute of honesty. Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So we are to be speaking truth in love. And we oftentimes think about this as far as it relates to confrontation, right? We need to speak truth. We need to be willing to speak truth. But everything that we say needs to be directed by an honest heart with no deception. And that may seem a little weird to be talking to a bunch of Christians about how we shouldn't be deceptive. But I think I actually was listening uh, last week to a sermon by John MacArthur on the topic of lying. And, and he was saying how that, and of course we know, that our natural default position apart from Christ for the unbeliever is deception. It is to lie because Satan is the father of lies and unbelievers are of their father, the devil. And so that is their natural default. But for us, we have, we have this wonderful privilege of being honest. But because that was our natural default before we knew the Lord, that's our natural fallen default, we still have to fight against the temptations toward deception. So love that last, he says this, extent to which we are completely honest about our temptations, struggles, failures, and sin is the extent to which we will experience whole communication, biblical truth, and God's, transform, and God's transforming grace. So Proverbs 31, 11 and 12 says this, which I know we've mentioned before as well, but thinking about it specifically as it relates to communication, says the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So let's think about that as it relates to honesty and deception. So honesty builds trust, but deception destroys it. Can your husband trust you? Are you honest in your relationship toward him? If you aren't honest in how you live life, you won't be honest in your communication. If there are things you do or don't do that you can't or won't share with your husband, there is going to be an underlying deception in your communication because you are trying to portray yourself differently than who you are. So let me give you some examples just so that you can follow along with what I'm saying because I don't think this is something we think about all that often. Are you honest with how you spend your money? So do you go to the store and buy something maybe that you don't really want to go home and tell him about or you know it doesn't really fit within the budget? So you're not going to directly lie about it. If he asks you, you'll say, you'll tell him you did it, but you're also not going to offer the information. Do you sneak little treats when grocery shopping that he doesn't know about? Now, keep in mind... This doesn't necessarily have to be deceitful. It doesn't necessarily have to be sinful. But what is your motive behind it? Are you doing it with the intent of, I'm not going to tell him because what he doesn't know won't hurt him? Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, what about do you buy other things like spending on the credit card without his knowledge? And I kind of already mentioned that. Are you honest with your time? Do you waste time or spend time on useless things during the day and then imply that you have used your time well when he gets home that night? Little subtle things, just trying to twist it to make yourself look just a little bit better than you are. 
Do you imply that you have a headache or don't feel well so that you can avoid sexual intimacy? That would be deception as well. When he asks you if something is bothering you, are you honest telling him what it is? So this has been like years of me going, nothing, nothing. Because I don't want to, I don't want to make the effort to tell him, no, something is bothering me. Or sometimes, like I realize I'm being sinful, so I don't want to really talk about it because it's my own sinfulness, so I don't want to bring it up. So he says, is something wrong? And I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just a flat-out lie. So it, and let me just tell you, so I think I did that for years and years and years. And then, like a few years ago, I started to try and really get better about that. And actually, it happened even this morning. <laughs> And so I'm wrestling in my mind going, am I going to just say yes or am I going to say no? Still, the battle rages. And so I thought, well, that would be deception. I've been studying communication. <laughs> you guys are so good for me. You have no idea. So anyways, I'm thinking, I have to be honest. Like, I have to just say it. So I was like, yes, something's bothering me. And so later on, I did end up going in. So then he, he, was, he got busy and I was busy. And so we didn't talk about it right away. So then it was probably, I don't know, half hour later or something. I'm like, I just need to go in. I just need to be honest. He asked me, I need to go tell him what's bothering me. So it's just out in the open. We can deal with it. And then it's over. And so by God's grace, I was able to go in there and to talk with him and be honest about it. And we talked it through and it was no big deal. But if I hadn't have been willing to go in and talk that through, you know what it would have done? It would have continued to stew in my brain. And honestly, I told him, I said, I have to study and I can't study until we work this out. And so it's really good accountability for me because I ha there was no way I was going to be able to work through this if I hadn't first in my own life. And I told him, I said, it's communication is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I have to communicate. But it's so important. And the sooner you guys can learn to do these things, the better off you'll be. But remember, it's humility that enables us to do that when we don't want to. And it's the pride in my heart that makes me not want to go and talk to him and be honest about where I'm wrestling. And so we have to be thinking that through. Pride, humility, what am I willing to do? And ultimately, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Lord, I'm talking so much about you being glorified. You are not going to get the glory if I sit here and stew on this. So just look at all those. You guys get a, way too much of my life, I think. But anyways, the struggle's real, and I want you to see that it's real. We're, we're all wrestling in this together in different ways. And you have to see from even my own failings that, that as we wrestle, we have to learn to wrestle well. And, and the thoughts that go through our minds so that God is honored and glorified. <clears throat> so if you aren't honest... How can your husband trust you? If you aren't honest, you are not doing him good. So I'm going back, referring back to Proverbs 31, right? The heart of her husband trusts her. If I'm not honest, so Craig knew something was wrong. I, I don't, he just has known me for so long. I didn't think I had any look on my face. He knew something was wrong. He cannot trust me if I'm saying, no, nothing's wrong. Because he knows that there is something wrong. And am I doing him good by not telling him? No, I'm not. So thinking these things through. So one thing that he said in Love That Lasts, again, and I thought this was helpful. He says, a word of caution. Open and honest communication has nothing to do with the secular popularity of, of saying what you feel. So they say, you need to be able to just say what you feel. He's like, that, that has no place in biblical communication. It might be a noble-sounding sounding sentiment that often serves as an excuse for spouting whatever is on your mind. In the Bible, the only, excuse me, the one, can't read. In the Bible, the one who freely and habitually speaks his mind is neither noble nor admirable. He is a self-centered fool. So, this whole idea of communicating with our husbands 
We need to do that, but we don't do it just so that we can vent. That is never the point. So then number five, self-control. Proverbs 17, 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So we need to be keeping in mind as we are communicating with our husbands that we need to be self-controlled. Because remember, all of our words need to be reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason why I added this one on here is because I think self-control is one that we can really struggle with, especially if we wrestle with anger or being short-tempered. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he will not be wise in his own eyes. If your husband responds sinfully to you, do you immediately respond back to him sinfully or do you use self-control and respond biblically? So something happens and he responds sinfully. We should not respond that that verse from Proverbs 26 means that we should not respond in kind. He maybe did something sinful, but we do not respond sinfully back. Instead, we need to be self-controlled and respond biblically to his sin so that we can help him recognize his sin instead of joining him in it. So Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. It requires self-control to ponder how to answer. If you don't exercise self-control, you will be like the wicked, pouring forth evil out of your mouth. So think about that the next time. You are not pondering and you are just responding right back. I'm like the wicked, pouring forth evil. Stopping to think about what we say before we say it is so important. Using that self-control. And what happens when we lack self-control? We recognize it, we cry out to the Lord, we ask for him to strengthen us, and then we endeavor to use self-control, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as we are striving and helps us to be self-controlled. Is the wrestle difficult? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But the Holy Spirit will enable us to do it. Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Self-control enables us to be slow to anger, which calms a dispute. If we are quick-tempered, short-fused, touchy, irritable, contentious, etc., we will stir up strife rather than eliminate it. Some people think that being quick to anger is a personality trait. But let me tell you, it is not a personality trait. It might be because you have given in to your anger so often that it is habitual now. But anger is a sin, not a personality trait. And so you need to recognize that, see that it is a lack of self-control, and then repent of that, asking the Lord to strengthen you and to help you to be self-controlled. So then moving on, uh, B on your outline. So now looking at biblical principles for good communication. So those things, those other five things we just talked about were the attributes that need to be present in our lives all the time in order to cultivate good communication. Now we look at biblical principles for good communication. And so I'm kind of going to go through these a little bit fast, but and I've got several verses here, but I just wanted them to be on your mind as we're thinking these things through. So number one, our words come from within our hearts. This, I realize, is not new to you, but we have to at least remind ourselves. Matthew 15, 19 and 20 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slander. These are the things which defile the man. So out of the heart come all of our thoughts and words and everything. The things that we say are a reflection of what is in our hearts. Proverbs 16, 23 says, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. 
So this needs to be our desire is to be like the wise and instruct our mouths. So number two, we need to guard our words. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. If you are, if you are one of those kind of people that, that talks a lot and this is how you think, you think out loud and that type of thing, this might be a really good verse for you to memorize to begin to help you think through thinking before you speak. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So we need to have a guard over our mouth, but we also need to guard our hearts because the problem is, is if we aren't changing our heart attitude, eventually, if that guard ever comes off of our mouth, what's going to flow out of it? Ugly filth and sinfulness. So we have to guard not only our mouth, but we also have to guard our hearts. So number three, gentle and self-controlled words are more effective building up rather than tearing down. So Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 25, 15 says, By forbearance a ruler is persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks the bone. See, oftentimes we think that to make our point or to be heard, we have to be ugly. We have to be demanding. We have to be forceful. But that's exactly opposite of what scripture is telling us. A soft tongue breaks the bone. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you start to get in some sort of altercation with your husband, and it starts to get a little heated. So if you respond with a harsh word back, what does that do? It just stirs up anger all the more. I think we've probably all experienced that to one degree or another. But a gentle answer diffuses it. It turns away wrath. So then number four, edifying words. These are our words that are for the benefit of the other person. We need to keep in mind when we speak that our words are first for the glory of God and then they are for the building up of the other person. So Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So keep in mind your words are for the benefit of your husband more than they are for you. And that is like really very different than the way we normally think about our words, if we even think about it at all. My words are for, they should be, for the benefit of my husband more than they are for the benefit of me just spilling my guts. We often want to talk to make ourselves feel better, to get it off our chest. But our words should always be for the good of the other person. When you communicate with your husband, are your words edifying? Are they building him up? Are they appropriate and helpful for that specific moment? Do your words give grace to your husband when he hears you speaking to him? Keeping in mind that your communication should be for God's glory and his good is going to help you eliminate many forms of selfish and sinful comments and conversations. It doesn't even have to be a big argument or a long conversation. What about just those little offhanded comments that come from a sinful heart, like the comment about him getting more sleep than you? We can do little things like that really well also, but our words should be for the purpose of building him up, not tearing him down. Proverbs 15.23 says, A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. And Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. So encourage your husband. Tell him how much you appreciate him. 
Thank him for all that he does for you and for your kids, for your home. Be willing to think through the things that he does well. And uh, especially when the world is against him, you stand beside him and speak words of love and truth from the word of God. If your husband hasn't already in some way had the world appear to be entirely turned against him, I can tell you that if you're married for any length of time, he will have a time in his life when it seems like the entire world has turned against him. And we are his greatest cheerleader. We stick beside him. We encourage him. We love him, but not necessarily according to what's going on in his own mind. Because if he's wrestling with sin, then we stand beside him in faithfulness, encouraging him in the truth of God's word, reminding him of the truth, calling him to repentance, whatever is necessary for that moment. But we need to be very careful that our words are like apples of gold in settings of silver and spoken in the right time, in the right circumstances. Because our words are to build him up, to edify him. And we, as our husband's wife, have the wonderful privilege of doing that. And you know what it does when we are willing to do that? It enables him to trust us because he knows we have his best interest in mind. And what about when the whole world turns against him? Or maybe the whole world's even for him and he comes home and we are against him. We never want our marriages to be that way. He needs to know that we are for him and we have to be willing to say it and say it often so that he knows. So number five, communicate with our actions what we say with our words. So I told you we're not really going to talk about nonverbal much, so this is about as much as we're going to say here about it. But 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. When we tell our husbands that we love them, when we tell them we're for them, but our actions are anything but for them, we are communicating that our words mean nothing. Do you think that that is going to encourage them to trust us? Do you think they are going to feel like we are doing good for them in that case? No. Totally just lost my place here. Okay, number six. So number six is listen well. Proverbs 20 verse five says, A plan in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. So again, this is taken, no, no, this is taken from Stuart Scott, I think, um, the little booklet there. And he says this, listening well means, and he's got a little list here, it means concentrating on and carefully considering what the other person is saying. When our husband is communicating to us, we need to be carefully listening to what he is saying. Not interrupting. And he does say, he does clarify here. He says, some rare exceptions may apply. Someone who never stops talking or when someone is out of control. So just a little caveat there. But generally speaking, we need to allow our husbands to finish their thought rather than trying to jump in and, and interrupt with what we want to say instead. Let them finish talking. This principle has been so helpful to Craig and I over the years. Early on, we were given this advice and we started practicing it. And I tell you what, it is so helpful because you don't end up with these long arguments because when you can both fully express and be heard by the other person, then you eliminate so much confusion and miscommunication. So, 
be willing to listen and not interrupt. So then uh, listening well means not formulating what you are going to say while the other person is talking. It means not talking too much, but allowing breaks in the conversation so that another person, your husband, can have time to process information, formulate what they want to say, and then say it to you. Listening well means when you are in an important conversation, always ask for clarification with comments like, could you please say that again? Could you explain that a little more? So you can say, is this what you're saying? Try and clarify so that you understand and don't draw wrong conclusions. And then his last little point here is not talking when someone else is speaking. This bad manner is a serious offense, he says. And it is, because if somebody else, if your husband is talking and you're just talking over him, we have over the years some... some friends, family that are close to us, and this is how they have communicated. And the volume gets really loud, and they're not mad at each other. They're just talking, and he will talk, and then she will talk, and he's trying to be heard, and she's trying to be heard, and the volume just goes away. And you're like, who do we listen to? Who do we listen to? And they neither one have any idea what was said when it all gets done. So learn to listen and not talk over each other and interrupt each other. So that is biblical principles for good communication. So C, now hindrances to good communication. So what things hinder us from communicating well? Well, we've just been talking about listening. So number one on your uh, outline there is not listening. So Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who gives an answer... Before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So not listening is selfish and proud. It communicates that you don't care what he has to say. You don't care what he has to say or what is important to him. And it ultimately leads to misunderstanding and miscommunication. So number two, inaccurate, so this is a hindrance to good communication, inaccurate assumptions, which basically is not believing all things. Remember, that's part of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians. So uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So we do not need to go passing judgment on our husbands, accusing them or, or thinking uh, that they being suspicious of, of their motives, I think is what I'm trying to say here. Because this leads to all kinds of issues in a marriage. When somebody does something, in this case, we're wives, so we're going to say our husband does something, and we immediately attribute wrong motives to him. What happens? We don't know the truth. We don't know if he had wrong motives. We're just assuming that. And then we start acting on that and we start speaking on that. Very, very dangerous thing to do. So many arguments could be eliminated in a marriage if we would just believe that they had good motives, even if they did something that maybe we don't understand or we don't like. Ask questions before you accuse. So, number three, ungodly speech. Colossians 3.8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And then Proverbs 16.27 says, A worthless man digs up evil, while his words are like scorching fire. So, obviously, ungodly speech, and I'm not even going to get into this because I think you can probably pretty much know what that is, but that is a hindrance, obviously, to good communication. Number four is angry speech. So Proverbs 15.18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife but the slow to anger calms a dispute. And then Proverbs 
22:24 says this, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. So what if you are that hot-tempered person? What does scripture just say in that verse? Consider you being the hot-tempered person. Do not associate with a person given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. Your husband is married to you. He can't not be married to you. He can't get away from you. And yet the warning is very clear from Proverbs. Stay away, do not befriend and be close to somebody who is angry. You will learn their ways. We do not want to be that hot-tempered, angry wife. So obviously, angry speech hinders good communication. Number five, excessive speech hinders good communication. Proverbs 10, 19, you're probably all familiar with this. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So what do we have there? If we are not using self-control, sin coming out of our mouths is unavoidable. Therefore, we must use self-control. Do you see, uh, this is Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So number six, an unwillingness to talk. So this is obviously a hindrance to communication if we're unwilling to communicate. So 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay, this is a verse, two husbands and has nothing to do with communication. But here's where we're going. If we are unwilling to talk to our husbands, particularly about difficult or vulnerable things, we limit their ability to live with us in an understanding way. We have to be willing to talk with them, to express our hearts. Remember, for the glory of God and for their benefit, this is how we communicate, so that they will have the opportunity to understand us so that they can be obedient to scripture. If we do not cooperate with this, how are they supposed to understand us? We make it hard for them to be obedient to scripture when we refuse to communicate. So there are two particular areas that I want to mention. And the first areas that we struggle perhaps to talk about things. The first one is talking about sexual intimacy. You must communicate your preferences. And I, I'm, I've just got a little paragraph here that I'm going to read through just different things, thoughts that came to my mind. This is just to get you thinking. So I know I'm not going to cover everything, but you do need to explain to him what your preferences are. What do you like? What don't you like? What makes you uncomfortable? What is a specific turn off? Do you, so something silly even like this, do you love his beard? Or do you hate it when his stubble pokes you when you're kissing? He needs to know these things. You need to tell him. If you don't talk, he won't know. What time of day do you feel most comfortable being intimate? And this is particularly if you have kids. He needs to know that because if he's trying to make the moves and you're like, this is not one of those windows, poor guy is going to be rejected. He needs to know, yeah, that time is probably not the time I'm going to respond best, but if you do it at this time, I'll respond a lot better. He needs to know these things. Are there things that make you feel used that you do when you're intimate? He needs to know those things. Maybe it takes you back to previous things previous experiences you had? Are there ways he could help you to be less selfish? Have you thought about that? Asking, talking about that, letting him know. Are, you, are there things that would be helpful for him to know so that your time together can be sweet and successful together? So that's talking about sexual intimacy, which can be very hard to do, but it needs to happen so that we can grow in that. So the second thing is talking about painful things. And I just, there's different things that we could choose to talk about here, but I am, I am going to go ahead and just address pornography. 
So talking about painful things such as his involvement in pornography. Help him understand why it is painful for you. Does he understand that you feel betrayed and rejected? And I realize if, if your husband has been involved in this, there are so many raw emotions that you can be feeling that to communicate to him these things can be very, very, very difficult. But you need to communicate. Remember, for God's glory and for his benefit, not just so you unload all your garbage and sin on him. We have very specific purposes, but these things still need to be communicated. Does he understand the breach in trust that has taken place? Keep in mind that the point of communication is for God's glory. I already said that, and for your husband's benefit. When, when I'm encouraging you to talk to him, this is not for you to vent, and I already said that as well. Your goal is to help him hear your heart so that he can understand you and live with you in that understanding way. So bringing this topic up can be very difficult because you can be afraid of his response. If you are asking him because you have concerns about whether or not he has been indulging in it, you may be afraid of his answer. If you've seen things that are indicative that maybe this has happened, your fear can keep you from addressing it. Is that good and helpful? Is that beneficial for him? Is it beneficial for you? And if this is the situation where you are afraid that perhaps he is sinning in this way and you don't know for sure, perhaps he's made a comment, stole a quick glance at something inappropriate, your questions can cause you to doubt his character. It can cause you to accuse him in your mind and to fail to trust him. Because if you are doubting his character, you are concerned about this, you, you need to just ask. Even if you are um, afraid of the answer, you need to communicate. And you can explain, I realize this may be all me, but in order to put my mind at rest so that I will not be tempted to accuse you, I need to bring this up. I know this is hard, but we need to be willing to have the hard conversations. You need to bring it up in love and in kindness with his good in mind. If he is sinning in this way, you have the privilege to help restore him back to fellowship with Christ. But you also have the opportunity to hear his heart. Perhaps you're wrong and all your concerns are completely unfounded. If you aren't willing to talk about it, you won't be able to be a blessing to him. Be willing to have the hard conversations. So then D, oh wow, yeah, we're totally not finishing all of this, sorry. D, various components necessary for effective communication. So uh, number one, and this, these points, um, just the basic points are taken from Love That Lasts. So he says, number one, um, so these are, these are not like I'm taking straight out of scripture, but I still thought they were very helpful, his ideas. And this is just basic communication, levels of communication in your marriage. So number one, information exchange. This is small talk. How was your day? Did you get the bills paid? Did you buy toothpaste at the store? And this just basic informational exchange is important because it keeps us in the general loop of each other's lives. We need to have this very basic level of communication going on all the time between us and our husbands, just because it helps us keep living in sync in the home together. Number two, we need to participate in what he called value sharing. So this goes just a little bit deeper. And an example is, do you think... so? questions you might be asking in order to learn this. Do you think we have enough life insurance? Do you want to visit your parents for Christmas this year? Do you think it would be a good idea to send the kids to youth camp? Should we remodel the bathroom? Why don't you like getting a babysitter? Like all these different kinds of questions. 
but they're just a little bit deeper than just your informational exchange going on. But these are questions that help you to get to know each other. These things need to be present in your conversation as well. Number three, correction. And I don't mean here correction in confrontation, restoring sin, that kind of thing. I'm just talking like correction, misunderstanding kind of a thing. So some questions that might help you understand what that is. Why did you buy that new, whatever it is, tool, computer part, when we decided last week to cut back on our free spending budget? So like clarification here, what just happened? (laughs) So another question might be, I thought you were going to do laundry today. What happened? Why did you take so long to get home? Now dinner's cold. Like you're just trying to get information. Things did not go the way you expected them to go, the way that they were supposed to go. So you just need to find out what happened. Now, this is really, really important because remember that whole idea of believing all things? This is where this comes into play. This correction helps you to be able to believe all things. Or maybe believing all things helps you to do the correction. That's probably the, more, the way it is. Because instead of just assuming that he did something wrong or he, you, you attribute bad motives to him, instead ask questions. Okay, so this didn't go as planned. What happened? And it gives him the opportunity to, to explain before you're all up in arms and angry and have him pinned to the wall about it. So continuing on, the next one is spiritual conversation. So some questions regarding that. What did you think about the sermon this morning? I was just reading this verse. What does it mean? Can you explain it or help me understand? In light of this passage of scripture, how do you think we should change our parenting? So you kind of get the idea there, like you're talking about spiritual things in your home, in your marriage, in your life. So now you've gone even one step deeper in your conversation. And then number five is self-disclosure. So these would be questions that would go along with that or statements. I'm so tempted to worry about whether we'll be able to pay junior's college tuition. Or perhaps you might say, when you said that, it really hurt. And here's why. Maybe you would say, when we get intimate, I'm afraid that you're going to reject me, and so that's why I struggle with it at times. Maybe you'd say, I struggle to keep a right attitude toward you when you say that or do that. So now you've gone really to that that really heart, deep level where you're talking about very vulnerable and personal things and, and helping them to understand the sin that you wrestle with and the the ways that you're striving to put off the sin. This is where we really get to know each other on a level that most people will never know us. It's where we talk about the things that are most vulnerable to us. It's where we expose our deepest desires and concerns and wrestles with sin. This is not something that comes naturally to most people. It requires the things we mentioned at the very beginning. It requires humility. It requires love. It requires honesty. This can be the place where we are most tempted to be dishonest. We don't want to expose the sinfulness in our hearts. We don't want to allow someone else to know us this well because it will open us up for the possibility of being hurt. If you grew up in a home where you experienced rejection from parents or family members or whatever, It can be very, very hard for you to be willing to open up on this level. And yet, it's necessary for that relational intimacy that we are striving for. It is necessary to do the work to go deep. It may require practice and intentional effort, but we need to do it. So then, I know we're way over here, so I'm just going to quickly give you these last things um, on your outline just so that you can fill in the blanks. So E is practical ideas for communication. So number one, set aside daily time for communication. So this means like put the kids to bed a couple of hours before you go to bed so that you can have that time every evening. Um, When our kids got older, Craig and I used to walk 
every night after dinner just to catch up for like 20 or 30 minutes. But make sure that you're taking overall, I know some days are not good for this, but overall be striving to communicate at some point with your husband during the day. Number two, prioritize your marriage above your children. I am going to explain this. Your children are important, but God says the marriage relationship is most important. Your children need to learn to fit into the life you have with your husband rather than your husband fitting into the life you have with your children. If you have prioritized your children in such a way that you do not have time to pursue an intimate relationship through communication with your husband, you need to make some changes because that's not right and healthy and it's not even good parenting. Number three, set aside the distractions. Set aside your phone. Do not allow your phone to continually be taking your attention so that you cannot focus on a conversation with your husband. Number four, intentionally plan times to have deep soul-searching conversations. So go out on a date. There are babysitters, great babysitters in this church that would be happy to come babysit for you. Sweet high school girls that are fabulous that would delightfully come and babysit so that you can go out and be intentional with your conversations. Uh, if you want, I can send you a list that Craig sent out to the Becoming One Sunday School class. Just good questions to talk through. He and I actually went out uh, one night and we found this little thing that we like to do. We like to go out kind of a little bit later, like when the rush is all over. And we're not late night people, so this is really a big deal for us. But we'll go out and sit there until the restaurant closes at like 10 or 10.30 and just talk. It's quiet in the restaurant. We're away from all the distractions at home and just go through the list of questions. That's what we did. And it was great. Like we talked about things that it was like, oh, this is really helpful. Make time to intentionally focus on those deeper things. Anyways, we need to, oh, number five, there's one more. Be willing to put in the effort. It is going to require effort and you are going to have to work at it, but make sure you prioritize it and you do it. So with all that, let's pray.